Our second scripture this morning is Matthew 18, 15 through 22. If your brother or sister, your sibling, sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my parent in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my sibling who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. We celebrate the written word of scripture. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Good morning. Will you join me in a moment of prayer? Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be found acceptable in your sight. And may everything else fall to the ground and be vacuumed up in the next cleaning. Amen. A few years ago, I was gifted a little book with collected quotes about forgiveness. A book that would have served this sermon well. But after a couple of years of sitting on the shelf in a sweep of Marie Kondo-inspired decluttering, I decided that the little book on forgiveness wasn't sparking joy, and I donated it. I'm telling you this, I suppose, with a tone of confession because it makes me reflect on how, as lovely as it sounds, forgiveness can be a complicated subject that a part of me wants to avoid. And yet, this is Lent. Lent is a season in which we are invited to reflect on some of the more complicated aspects of our lives. It's a good time to allow ourselves to do what in the 12-step tradition they call step four, taking an inventory, and see if we are where we want to be. In this case, how are we doing with forgiveness? We can use Peter as our model. In this text, he approaches Jesus with openness ready to be taught about forgiveness. Well, as I tried to emulate Peter 
and I engaged our text and I read commentaries on this passage in Matthew, I found that while the subject is complicated, it's also simple. But more on simple later, let's start with complicated. One of the most common phrases about forgiveness is forgive and forget. But forgive and forget is not always appropriate. To impose one form of forgiveness onto every situation in a general sweep can cause harm. The Christian church has been guilty of this by using this very passage. Victims of domestic abuse have regularly been coached by religious leaders to go back to the abuser and keep forgiving them, keep forgiving them, never being supported or empowered to seek protection or safety. Forgive and forget is one form of forgiveness but I think it's best applied in lower stake situations. And that makes forgiveness more complicated because it means that there's more than one way to do it. And we are being invited to figure out or be open to being taught by God, like Peter, which form of forgiveness is right for each time and situation. So here, at the beginning of our passage in Matthew, one approach to forgiveness is offered. You may have noticed in the reading that it, it kind of feels a little disjointed. There's kind of a first section and then a second section. Well, I would call the first section <clears throat> a recommendation about forgiveness in community. The second section I would call Peter's conversation with Jesus about how often to forgive. Biblical scholars mostly agree that the section on forgiveness in community is a redacted text. In other words, it was added in later by the author of Matthew in the context of the early Christian community. I think we can look at verses 15 to 20 as a recommendation for best practice being given on forgiveness in the Christian community. I don't think we should look at it as the words or instruction of Jesus. Now, if you're interested, the reason why is because the word ecclesia, which means church, is repeated in this section. And that's not a word that we see Jesus using regularly. It's not part of his common language. So we need to look at that section a little differently. If this is a best practice adopted by the Matthean early Christian community to handle the complicated and yet simple task of forgiveness and community, then what is unique about that recommendation? First, rather than forgive and forget, this practice invites the victim to do something very different. It instructs the victim to hold their truth in front of the offender repeatedly. 
in the hopes that responsibility will be taken and reconciliation can occur. Wow. What a different approach than what we're kind of commonly instructed to do. We're not to turn a blind eye to the wrongdoing of another. But nor are we to be immediately punitive and cast them out. The second really unique thing about this approach is that its purpose, while holding up the truth, is to reclaim the offender back into the community of health. If the church is the body of Christ, with Christ as the head, this process isn't about an amputation of the sick part, but an attempt, a repeated attempt, at healing. It's about naming what is true and calling the offender back in, giving the opportunity to find forgiveness and reconciliation if the offender can take responsibility for their wrong and repair the relationship. So what is unique is that this text implies that every member of the community matters enough to work through the process of reconciliation. The victim in holding the harm to the light and the offender in calling them back into the community in a healthy way. And it acknowledges that reconciliation is not always possible if the offender refuses to claim their offense. Because the process of forgiveness can be complicated. So that's what the first portion of our scripture presents as a way to do forgiveness in community. But there are other ways to do forgiveness too. <clears throat> Rabbi Harold Kushner tells the story of a woman in his congregation. She's divorced, she's a single mother, and she would tell him, since my husband walked out on us, every month is a struggle to pay the bills. I have to tell my kids, we have no money to go to the movies, while he is living it up with his new wife in another state. How can you tell me to forgive him? Rabbi Kushner told her, I'm not asking you to forgive him because what he did was acceptable. It wasn't. It was mean. It was selfish. I'm asking you to forgive because he doesn't deserve the power to live in your head and turn you into a bitter, angry woman. I'd like to see him out of your life emotionally as completely as he is physically. You're not hurting him by holding on to that resentment but you are hurting yourself. One form of forgiveness might be that we have to forgive at a distance for our own well-being. Another model of how to do forgiveness comes from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of South Africa. It was created to investigate the gross human rights violations that were perpetrated during the period of the apartheid regime from 1960 to 1994. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission allowed both victims and offenders to share their story in the investigation. But then, the victim 
was empowered to decide if reconciliation was possible, and if so, what reparations were needed to occur. Forgiveness is complicated. It comes in many forms. And that requires some work and prayer for us to consider what form is possible or needed in our situations. But forgiveness is also simple. In the latter part of our text, Peter asks, should we forgive seven times? And the translation that I am working with, Jesus says, you should forgive 70 times seven times. I don't think we should specifically take it as 490 times. Though we could, it wouldn't hurt. Some might say maybe Jesus was speaking of the process of forgiveness. That it's a process and not a one-time act. Perhaps to ultimately forgive, we have to forgive 70 times 7 moments along the way. But one thing is really simple about Jesus' response to Peter. He's saying we should forgive more than we think. We should forgive more than we think. As complicated as it is, we are simply called as Christians to lean into forgiveness. We are called to be teachable about forgiveness, open to learning new forms. But here's another thing that's simple about forgiveness. When we can't find forgiveness, God's grace always can. In Jesus' most mortal moment, hanging on the cross, he said, forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. He may not, in that moment, have been able to find forgiveness within himself in the midst of torture, but he certainly knew that God could. God's grace covers our inabilities. God's grace guides us, allowing forgiveness to be possible in different forms. Forgiveness is complicated, but in faith, it is simple. We can lean into forgiveness, opening ourselves to be taught about it, because with God's grace, what is complicated is made simple. Thanks be to God for the grace that makes forgiveness possible in all of its many forms. Amen.